This is Dom Bettinelli, and I want to ask you to stay around to the very end of this episode for a very important message. Thank you. The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the 12th Doctor story, Hellbent. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? Folks, be sure to follow The Secrets of Doctor Who in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, your favorite podcast app, or watch us on the StarQuest YouTube channel at youtube.com slash starquestmedia, where you should make sure you sh- to subscribe and hit the bell to make sure you get notifications of the things that you've subscribed to. And I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network you are sure to enjoy called The Secrets of Star Wars. If you like Secrets of Doctor Who, you'll like that. So you can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Star Wars. And finally, as a preamble, make sure to stick around to the end of the show because we have more of your fabulous listener feedback that we're going to share and discuss. All right, so let's talk about Hellbent. This is sort of the, uh, the penultimate Twelfth Doctor story. Uh, is it penultimate? No, it's oh. uh, no. That's right. There's a whole other season after this. Yeah, that's right. That's right. This is the. Uh, I'm making reference to the fact that there is a Christmas special that followed after this, and then the 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 season with Bill would come following that. Uh, but this is the last Clara episode. Uh, Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens in this one? This week, the Twelfth Doctor stumbles into a diner outside of the fictional town of Jackson, Nevada. There, he meets Clara Oswald, who's working behind the counter, but he doesn't seem to remember her, and he tells the story of what's led up to this point in a flashback. After the Doctor emerged from his confession dial on Gallifrey, he staged a passive coup against Rassilon, and he was such a hero in the Time War that the other Time Lords sided with him against Rassilon, who the Doctor then banished from Gallifrey. Afterwards, the Time Lords pressed him to reveal what he knows about the hybrid, but the Doctor said he needed to use a time extractor to get Clara from the moment just before she died because she has information on the hybrid. They then extract Clara, and it turns out that this was all an elaborate plan on the Doctor's part that he spent four and a half billion years executing. Neither he nor Clara really knows who the hybrid is. The Doctor faked that to get leverage in order to save Clara. But he wants to protect her now by wiping her memory of him so that nobody can find her. And he plans to do this with a neural block rather than telepathy this time, since it will be painless. Clara and the Doctor steal a TARDIS and travel to the end of time, where they meet a shilder in the ruins of Gallifrey. The Doctor and a shilder toss out theories about what the hybrid might be, but nothing is definitive. While they're doing that, Clara fiddles with the neural block because she doesn't want to forget. The Doctor says that one of them needs to forget because they can't keep going on like they have been. Together, they activate the block, and instead of blanking Clara's memory of the Doctor, it blanks the Doctor's memory of Clara. Back in the present, where the Doctor has stumbled into the diner and told Clara his story, Clara steps into the back room of the diner, and it's revealed that the diner is itself the stolen TARDIS, and a shilder is inside. 
Clara decides to go to Gallifrey so that the Time Lords can put her back in her time stream as she's about to face the Raven, since that's a fixed point. But since she and Ashilder are both immortals, they'll take the long way around and have lots of adventures on their way there. They dematerialize the diner, and the doctor sees that they have found his TARDIS for him, and it's sitting right behind where the diner was. So he gets in the TARDIS and takes off. The end. All right. Overall impressions of this one, Father Corey? This is one of those that's it's it's such a mixed bag. Um, there's much of it I really like. There's you know there's some themes they cover that are really good. The whole hybrid thing just seems like a letdown. It's just kind of like well we don't really know. It was just or whatever. Um, the the whole of course you know you got to have Stephen Moffat's. We're at the end of time. The the timelers would never look think of look at the end of time to find me, you know, everything else is gone. You know, it's it just, he's, he can't just do like, I'm hiding somewhere. Oh no, I got to go hide at the most remote place possible. Um, and it's just, it's the whole, and then of course, Clara and, and shoulder going off and having adventures in a, a stolen TARDIS, which looks really cool. Cause of course it's, it's a recreation of the first doctor's TARDIS, but still it, on the inside, on the inside, yep. but it, it's still just, it, it, it's a letdown of an ending in my opinion. Um, and it just, it, it bounces around between really cool stuff and really just odd, strange decisions. So how about you, Jimmy? Well, this one is widely hated by many in the Doctor Who community, but I, in, in contrast to, to Heaven Sent, which is widely liked, but I'm kind of, I don't, I don't super love the former and I don't super hate this one. I'm, I think they're both. Okay, um, they both have stupid stuff in them. You know, the fourteen times harder than diamond. Let's punch at this thing for billions of years. I don't like that. Um, they should have toned that down. And in the same way, in this, they establish it. He spent four and a half billion years punching the wall, and I don't really. I didn't like that last episode. I don't like it now. Mm-hmm. I also think the hybrid is completely lame the way they pay it off. Um, we need a definitive answer. And this, oh, we'll just toss out some theories ending is no good. Having said that, everything else in the episode I like. Uh, I don't really mind that they pull Clara back from the brink of death. I think this is a creative way to do that. Um, Stephen Moffat kind of has gotten some um, flack for for not leaving characters dead. And, and that's true when that becomes a pattern. Um, although actually it's interesting in the, the very first episode where this kind of comes up is silence in the library and forest of the dead where river song dies mm-hmm. and the doctor, the 10th doctor at that point, but Stephen Moffat's writing makes a big point of, you know, death gives us shape. It provides closure to things. And so the 10th Doctor is a fan of biographies, even though, as Donna Noble points out, they have a death at the end of every one of them. <laughs> and, and you know, he found a way of kind of sort of saving River in that. And that was OK. That was a good ending. And this in the same way, I think he, he kind of sort of found a way of saving Clara. And and I, I don't mind him exploring that. It, if you set it in a broader context of nobody ever really dies, well, then that's a problem. But the individual elements of it, like River's salvation and Clara's salvation, if they're creatively done, which I thought think those two are, I don't really mind it. 
But then I'm also a comic book fan, so you know, <laughs> I'm I'm used to people dying and coming back all the time. Right. My my I've uh, often said that I I don't like how Moffat brings people back, never lets anyone die. My big I, I I agree. This was a creative way to bring her her back. I what I my problem is is it's it strips the her death of emotional impact, and I think that bog, bothers me from a character standpoint just like I, I want you know clara has been the companion for a long time and i want her to get a good send-off and if you're gonna kill her off and you're gonna whack the viewer the fan you know in the heart with her death and then to undo that two episodes later it just it feels that one felt a bit of a cheat however i agree this is a good way to bring her back it's not a hey i'm really here it was all just a fake out no, they they extract it from time, and yeah, that's what they do with the master. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. The master every time. Um, you know, I was thinking. Well, I, before I get to my thought about the companions in general, when uh, in, in this relation to Clara, but also just in general, this episode, I agree, Jimmy. I, I I'm unlike other fans. I like this one better than Heaven Sent. Mm -hmm. um, I think the mood is is different. It's better. I uh, mm -hmm. the uh, Heaven Sent is dark and dreary not my favorite mood in a doctor who episode and this one is much more adventure i mean he's the grim doctor he's he's relentless but it's there's still a sort of um high adventure mode in this i feel i mean that might not be the best term but um i so i really like that i liked the this a shoulder is finally one that doesn't annoy the heck out of me <laughs> she shows up because she's billions of years old she's She's matured in a say, mellowed in a way, um, and she's you know she's finally you know not annoying. Uh, so I I thought that was interesting. She's yeah. she's actually at this point an equal to the doctor finally. Yeah, yeah. Where she can talk to him eye to eye instead of you know as as kind of a petulant child mm -hmm. trying to tell its elders what it knows more. In fact, right. she's actually older than the doctor now because yep. she's lived through those 14 and a half billion years and he just skipped over them. Right. Right. Exactly. I don't I don't think I mean, I, I, I'm in regard to the point that you made, Dom, about this cheapening Clara's death. I agree that that can happen in some circumstances where you bring somebody back and it cheapens their death. But um, but I don't. I don't mind it as long as it's well done or if it's a beloved character that I want to see have a happy ending. Yeah. And and so to me, I don't I don't I don't feel like I was really invested in, oh, I really want to see Clara die and I really want this to right. be high tragedy. Right. In fact, I think her death in Face the Raven is the weakest part of this trilogy. I think mm -hmm. Face the Raven is, mm -hmm. is is not as good as Heaven Sent or Hellbent. Her her death and what leads up to it, I think, is actually weak. I mean, we were talking right. earlier about how it's she even kind of seems to be out of character in that. Right, mm -hmm. right. That's true. I agree. Um, I would agree with that assessment, that it is the weakest. Yeah. Now, um, if someone brought Hamlet back, okay, I would feel that cheapens <laughs> what happened in Hamlet, but yeah. that's a different story. Yeah. Or Duncan. <laughs> literally. Literally a different story. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Go ahead. Of course, it, it's, it's funny that Clara becomes literally undead. She doesn't have a heartbeat. She doesn't right. breathe. She's not going to age. But unlike zombies, she doesn't decay either. 
Yeah. But she is literally undead. She's not alive. She's not dead. She's somewhere in the middle. Right. I got more to say about that when we get to the discuss that, because it's some interesting aspects of is she is she really? Well, we'll we'll get to it. It's science fairy tale. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But one thing I wanted to mention was is just the companions of the of New Who uh, in the Russell T. Davies and the um, Stephen Moffat era companions very often come to a bad end. Mm -hmm. I mean, Rose. She ends up with her mother and father, but she's in an alternate universe. Mm-hmm. She's she's kind of cut off from ours. With her tenth doctor a, boy toy. Yep. Uh, yeah, I guess that's not a bad end for her. Uh, Martha it's, Jones. No, it's, it's a bad end. I mean, it's yeah. not what she would have chosen. Right. Um, right. If you define badness in those terms, the only one who has a happy ending is Martha. And even that is tinged with sadness. Yeah. Um, right. She she's a soldier. She, yeah. Well, she realizes I need to get out of here because this isn't going to go anywhere for me. So I'm out. Yeah. See you later. Um, right. With well, in, in, I, I think this is partly because they realized that um, the producers realized that in the classic era, the companions don't really have good endings. And after mm. traveling the universe, I mean, they don't have believable endings frequently. And after traveling the universe with a doc, with a doctor, what would get you to leave? It's going to be something, it's going to be something in some degree unpleasant. Right. I guess. Yeah. I mean, so we have Amy and Rory end up getting stuck in the past. Uh, Clara dies. But- but not. They get stuck in the past, but they live a happy life. Mm-hmm. They do, but they're cut off from, like, say, Rory's dad, and you know their their mm-hmm. life in this time. Um, but then, you, and then you have Clara. Then you have Bill, who ends up, you know, getting killed and becoming cyberized, and uh, you know, it's just. And then you I, have I, the the Thirteenth Doctor, where actually the outcomes aren't bad for everybody. They actually, Dan goes back to his life. Yaz doesn't she go back to her life? Yeah. Um, um, you know, Graham and uh, what's his Ryan. name? Uh, Graham's Ryan. Ryan. Yeah. They have, I mean, comparatively now, decent outcomes. And admittedly, I wouldn't take quite as broad definition of bad ending as you do. Yes. You know, with I would say with Amy and Rory that they actually did have a good ending, even if it was not in their time and not with their family. But they did have a life. They did have a family. They did have, you know. They, you know, so that was that was good. You know, Rose, I mean, she did did come. Kind of become action warrior Rose, but uh, but she did again. She did have her parents together. She did have uh, the 10th Doctor spinoff. So, I mean, there's she had a pretty good ending as well. I guess Donna had the whole mind block thing, Dr. Donna thing. But she got married and won the lottery. So uh, I think a consistent theme in New Who is the companions tend to have they try to give them good endings that are not completely horrible, Mm -hmm. but they but they do contain elements that are negative that pry them away from the doctor. Yeah. Whereas in classic, you know, the Ian and Barbara go back to their life. Jamie's sit back. They well, Ian and Barbara have a good ending. Because yeah, they go back by their own choice. Um, right. Susan gets stranded um, <laughs> by the <laughs> yeah. doctor. Um, right. But it has. Jamie rede- and Zoe. Well, it, yeah. but Susan's stranding has redeeming elements because they put a positive spin on it, even though the doctor's stranding her. You know, she's got a sure. boyfriend mm-hmm. now and everything. So okay. we know she's going to be okay. 
Um, I forget how Vicky, Vicky gets like given into the custody of some people. So does Victoria, Jamie and Zoe get, uh, their minds blocked Yep, and they forget everything, but their first adventure with the doctor, um, Sarah Jane, they do go home. Yeah, they do go home. Sarah Jane gets stranded. Leela suddenly falls in love. Um, yeah. Romana too gets stranded in e-space or no stays in e-space to avoid Time Lord Justice. Right. Uh Adric gets killed. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. Nissa Nissa dumps the doctor to treat plague patients. Mm-hmm. So he he gets dumped for the plague. Um <laughs> and, yeah. as as Sycorax Rock said in his Total Eclipse of the Celery Heart song. Um <laughs> yeah. j- uh, uh Tegan dumps the doctor. It's like yep. I'm I'm sick. I'm out of here. I I don't want any more of this. And yep. Ace, we don't know, but it was something bad. Yeah. Right. And Perry, we thought she was dead, but then she ended up actually going and and marrying Brian Blessed. I mean, uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, now that not... that was a character death betrayal. <laughs> yeah, her, yeah. her 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 ending up with the brain of a slug was that was her true ending. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the, uh, the, the time lords were lying to him about she becomes a warrior queen. Yeah. And Mel I, I don't know about Mel's ending, ending up with what's his that? Oh yeah. Uh, I said, see you Glitz. later. See you later, Dom. I'm going off with Savalon Glitz. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure about that one. Um and then there's all the third doctor comedians who mostly end up in decent places. I mean Liz Liz gets um, transferred to another assignment. Yeah. I mean, Joe gets yeah. married. Yep. Yeah. So not a, not a yeah, yeah. Those are all pretty good. Well, anyway, so I just thought it was well, interesting for that, Captain Yates. Yeah. Yeah. He does he die or does he get transferred <laughs> no, to he, the he, Amazon? He, oh, we have you haven't seen that one yet. We shouldn't no. spoil it for him. Yeah. Okay. Don't spoil it. Mm-hmm. Don't no spoilers. Um. All right. So uh, I just wanted to you know a little digression on the companion departures. So with this story. You mentioned that it it starts in Jackson, Nevada. Back we're back in Nevada, and did you notice that the the sign for Jackson had a saying on it? No matter where you go, there you are. The yep. the line from Buckaroo Banzai. I yep. love that addition. Yep. It's a really a nice little uh, thing. By, uh, by the way, if if anybody happens to have a Bronco like that, I I would take it gladly. Classic, <laughs> you know, late eighties, early nineties, full size Bronco. I I take Those, it. It'd Those are a, collector's items. It'd yeah, be yes, a little hard, it'd be a little hard to drive here in America, though, because if you notice carefully, he's driving on the British side. Is he really? Yeah, that's so a British they, model. They I must have filmed out. that in the Canary <laughs> Islands. <laughs> they, they must have filmed in the Canaries, I guess. Um, so he walks into the cafe that is the replica of the one that the 10th Doctor, Amy and Rory 11th. and River. 11th, sorry. I always, I always mix them up. The 11 Dr. Amy Roy and River went to in the um, Lake Silencio uh, mm-hmm. stories. Um, but it's not that cafe. It is a different one. Mm, I think it's uh, the same, same, it's the exact same one. Same one. He even says it later. I've been here before. And it was. No, but Amy I mean, it's, Rory. but it's, it's me's TARDIS. It shows us TARDIS. Right. Yeah. With a the, chameleon this, this is a retcon. It was, it's Clara's TARDIS. Um, but it's a, this is a retcon. This, that the diner that he was in before was Clara's TARDIS. He just didn't know it. Really? Okay. Yeah. Oh, I didn't, I didn't pick that up. Okay. Um, now you mentioned he doesn't recognize her, but when we, I first watched this, it was, the implication was, she didn't recognize him. And mm-hmm. I, 
it, it may be yeah. written so that they're not recognizing it's, each other, so you can read it either way, so that the ending isn't spoiled. Right. I think that's what that's the, what the point I was getting at. Is I think we're supposed to, the first time we see it, you know, think that she's not recognizing him, and then in the end, because of the neural blocker, and in the end, that swap. See, and then it, and it's sort of a sixth sense. Oh, it, it was a ghost all along. See, I, so. I, I, I seem to call, I mean, of course, this was, you know, quite a few years ago that we watched this for the first time, but that she was just playing along from the beginning. And it was, it seemed to me that it was somewhat mm-hmm. clear that she was, she was just playing along with the doctor, basically. Hmm. She, Maybe. That, that she knew, she knew this was a doctor. She knew who this was, but he didn't okay. recognize her. Okay. I mean, I guess you could, if you're perceptive enough, you probably pick that up. I wasn't <laughs> perceptive. I mean, that's, that's, that, again, that that's, that's yeah. what I perceived, but that doesn't mean it was the case. I, I yeah. think that on a careful watch, you could pick that up, but I think it's meant to be ambiguous, at least for the first time viewer. Right. So uh, there's a, so the usual Moffat, uh, very nice sort of like uh, double meaning lines. You've been traveling, she says, from time to time. Mm-hmm. He replies, which is yeah. literally true and, and figuratively. Um, he offers to play music on his guitar for her in exchange for, you know, a cup of coffee. Oh, yeah. And, that was another element I could have done without. <laughs> yeah. And he does end up playing the Clara's theme music. So it, it made it diegetically part of the, you know, the mm-hmm. in-universe story. And, and that was clever. I like that. Well, I, I liked how he turned his sonic glasses into a Bluetooth receiver. <laughs> for the uh, for the, the speakers, yes, uh, that would be a very clever thing to be able to do. Uh, so then we we look we see Gallifrey, which is now restored. Last time we saw Gallifrey in the Twelfth Doctors or Eleven Doctors time, it had been destroyed from the Time War. They've rebuilt things. Um, all the cloister bells are ringing, and we are told about cloister wraiths or sliders. Was this something we knew about in Classic Who, or no. is this a brand new element? This is new. This is new. It it has the cloisters have been introduced in spinoff media, and then the show eventually picked them up. Um, okay, but the but the cloister wraiths are are not in Classic Who, and they have mentioned them earlier this season. Though they also mentioned in the Magician's Apprentice and the Witch's Familiar that there were events apparently before the Time War known as the Cloister Wars that mm, the Doctor right. and Missy participated in. Okay, and what what are cloister wraiths? Are they like machines inhabited by the spirits of well, dead so lords? they're sort of there's it's it's not entirely clear, but they're they're manifestations of the matrix that use that are in some way patterned after people who have been uploaded into the matrix, and right. they kind of they protect the matrix and they speak on behalf of the matrix. And so even this is even though this is all technological, and the doctor tries to explain it to Clara, and then she says, "Was I meant to understand any word of that?" <laughs> he he tries again and makes it simpler, and he says, "The time lords have a big computer made of ghosts in a crypt guarded by more ghosts, and yeah. the cloister race are the ghosts who are doing the guarding." Okay. And I think, you know what? That's a good explanation. <laughs> That's good it's, enough. So could this be the ghosts of the, the guards? The, the ghosts of the guards. Time guards. Have... <laughs> <Good> <laughs> uh, so we get to see Rassilon again, and he's regenerated since he was Timothy Dalton. And mm-hmm. uh, we see. I like the, the Timothy sus- Dalton version better. I, yeah. Well, Timothy Dalton. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll take James Bond any day. Uh, and uh, the Sisterhood of Karn show up. Uh, mm-hmm. Just, mm-hmm. I think. Just to kind of 
needle the, the time lords, apparently. That's, that's mostly what she does is kind of um, make wry observations. Yeah, I, yeah. Liked, I like seeing Ohila in this. She was, as the story progresses, she's a little more negative than I would have expected. She has a mm-hmm. little bit of antagonism towards the doctor in this that that I is something she hasn't shown before. I like her as a character, but Stephen Moffat wrote her more negatively as the story progressed. Mm. Well, well, again, they came through time the long way, so. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> so then we get the uh, the old barn again, which uh, we've seen earlier in the season when uh, we had that story about Clara grabbing the young doctor's leg from under the bed. Mm-hmm. But then we saw before in the day of the doctor where this was where the moment device was going to be set off uh, and then wasn't. And this house, this barn is apparently owned by the doctor's family. Mm-hmm. Um, because the doctor was sleeping in it as a little boy. And in this, there's a, a caretaker woman. We don't know who she is or what she is to the doctor. She may be a household servant. She may be his mom. We don't mm-hmm. know. Um, but when she is, it, she comes out to the barn and sees the 12th doctor, but doesn't recognize him immediately and says, you're not supposed to be in here. This is for the boys. Mm-hmm. And it's another hint that the doctor and the master are secret brothers. Um, but um, she, he then turns and he, she sees him and recognizes, oh, this is one of the boys. This is the doctor. Yeah. I wonder, though, if the implications, maybe the doctor and the master are orphans. And this was a home that, you know, mm-hmm. orphan boys lived in, which would connect with the timeless child story. Mm-hmm. It, could but the the they've they but that would be inconsistent with other things they've established because the doctor both in spinoff media but in including on screen because the the 13th doctor at one point is describing her family and the second doctor early on the second doctor Vic, uh, victoria asks him do you remember your family and he says oh yes i remember them all the time and when i don't they're asleep in my mind so mm-hmm. he's got a family um, and the 13th doctor describes members of it, including a crazy, she's apparently got multiple grandmothers more than the usual two <laughs> and, and describes one of them as being rather eccentric. Okay. okay. Well, and then there was a book that was written during the, the between times, uh, Lung Lungbarrel that talks about the doctor's family. And it's, it's, it's very much, you know, an aristocratic, one of the great families of, of Gallifrey and things like that. And the house itself mm-hmm. is alive and, you know. And so I, I don't know how much that's changed with everything that's come out with New Who, but that, that's kind of considered to be the semi-canon explanation of where the Doctor comes from was that okay. story. The uh, Time Lords have a, apparently have a way of recognizing each other through regenerations because she recognized mm-hmm. him, even though she probably mm-hmm. hasn't seen him since this face. Presumably telepathy. And we've seen the Doctor recognize other Time Lords through regenerations as well. Mm-hmm. So the the... The poor people, the people of the dry lands, all seem to view the doctor as a hero. They, they they come around him. And the doctor himself, like everyone seems to be, you know, all the people in authority, are very afraid of the doctor. And we have this successive uh, number of visits. We have like a ship sent to gather him. And he just silently draws a line in the sand. Like, don't, with the implication, yep. don't cross this line. And so when the, when this ship with a gun, a gigantic gun, is, doesn't work, they, uh, the head of the armed forces, the general, 
shows up. Then that doesn't work. So the high council shows up and he just turns and walks away from them until Ra- finally Rassilon knows that it's not going to happen. He has to go to the doctor. And so uh, Rassilon shows up there. I, I, I love the, the caretaker in all this because she just walks in and points and she just can't say a word. And the doctor's like, he knows. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, the president is outside. Yeah. Uh, and then when the when Rasslon shows up, he's got a bunch of soldiers there and basically tells them to shoot the doctor and they all they refuse. I, I, I like well, the, the line that Rasslon, he's trying to assert his dominance and he says, you know what you've given me by bringing me out here. And 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 the doctor says what? And Rasslon says, no witnesses. And so he that's a death threat. I can kill you out here with no witnesses. And the doctor mm-hmm. says something to the effect of. I have the same. Yeah, mm-hmm. me too. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, so they, first the soldiers shoot, like when they shoot at him, they all miss on purpose. Mm-hmm. And then they basically lay down their guns and go stand next to, like willing to die with the doctor. Mm-hmm. Because Including he's the, the hero of the, yeah, because he's the hero of the time war. And then finally, when all of the uh, other ships show up and point their guns at Rassilon, you know, his, his, the jig is up. He's done. And this is Rassilon, you know, the, as he points out, the redeemer, the, the resurrected, you know, the founder of time Lord society. And yet the doctor kind of faces him down and, and, in the and exiles him, which is interesting. In hindsight, there's also a, an interesting uh, line that Rassilon has. Uh, where Rassilon, as he's threatening the doctor's life, he says, how many regenerations did we give you? Because I've got all day. And, right. <laughs> and okay, that would make sense given the doctor's knowledge of believing that they've just given him a new cycle of regenerations after Matt Smith. Mm-hmm. But in light of the timeless child, that's a hollow threat. Right. Yeah, he just keep, keep I could do this all day to quote <laughs> Captain America. <laughs> um, so... He you know, exiles Rassilon, exiles the High Council, and uh, and the doctors. You know, he t- as he's, I think he's talking to the general and um, the the what's her name? Ohila. Ohila. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he talks about the what they did to him with the confession dial, and it's sort of a perversion of what it is. He says uh, a confession dial is a ritual act of purification. It allows a dying Time Lord to face his demons and make his peace before his mind is uploaded to the Matrix. It was never intended as a torture chamber for the living. In other words, they put him in it as a living person in order to to torture him until he reveals what he knows about the hybrid. I, I'm glad they gave us that line because that was a question I actually raised uh, mm-hmm. when we, we, about how is this supposed to connect with people being uploaded to the Matrix? And they, they I'm glad they clarified that. Yep. And the doctor stubbornly refused to just say the thing that he needed to say at the end uh, to to get out of the, you know, the the confession dial because he was so angry about the fact that they killed Clara in their attempt to to capture him. Um, And and that that's sort of been his motivator for four and a half billion years. Yeah, only it's not. This is this. Clara's death is really on Clara. She mm-hmm. was the one yeah. who was reckless. They did not deliberately kill her. They did not deliberately put her in a situation. She was the one who took the number from Rigsy. And and she she interfered with the quantum shade and the deal that it had so that a shielder couldn't get her out of it. So nobody but Clara was really responsible for Clara's death. 
Yeah, that's true. You uh, know, although I, I do, I do have an issue with this for, you know, whatever billion years only because the doctor did not experience it for a billion years. Yeah. He only experienced it that last loop. Mm-hmm. The doctor right. that's standing there only experienced that last loop. True. But that's they true. keep making it like, oh, it completely changed him and it changed his eyes. No, it didn't. Mm-hmm. No. It really didn't. It's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the myth is that the hybrid is a cross crossbred between Daleks and Time Lords. This is something we saw when uh, Davros in the beginning of the season uh, had captured the doctor uh, and that it will stand in the ruins of Gallifrey. And like you said, Jimmy, we never get closure on the hybrid. Like this is, this is a big thing. And, Maybe Moffat wanted to leave it out there as one of these, you know, the Omega stuff and the stuff from, you know, the classic who as doctor mythology that just lays out there until some future showrunner picks it up. Maybe, but it just feels unsatisfying to drag us through this, the hybrid all season long and give us nothing at the end. Mm-hmm. I agree. Well, they even, oh, they even winked at the uh, eighth doctor movie, whereas, yep. you know, the hybrid is human and time, half human, half time Lord and made it sound like it was the doctor. And it's yep. like, right. and I, I'd forgotten about that part. And it's like, oh, they are not going there, are they? And of course, and they immediately, oh, but that's not it at all. Well, right. they don't eliminate it. They they, they, eliminate. they they propose four theories of what the hybrid could be. The first is a hybrid between Time Lord and Dalek. The second is a Shilder, who is a hybrid between human and Mire. As she said, I've got a little bit of Mire in me. Um, the third is the Doctor himself, mm-hmm. who would be a Time Lord human hybrid. And the fourth, which is Stephen Moffat's preferred solution, is it's the Doctor and Clara. Right. Which I think is the weakest because two people is not a hybrid, mm-hmm. um, right? But uh, yeah, this was this was weak. So uh, we, as you mentioned, Clara gets extracted from time. The doctor has done done this under false pretenses uh, and ends up shooting the general uh, and causing. I like the scene because he's like he's got the the, the weapon pointed at the general. He says tenth. Uh, no, he says means, which, he says regeneration, oh. and the general says tenth. Right. And then he's like, okay, so you get more and shoots him <laughs> and causes him to regenerate uh, to, into his ele- apparently 11th regeneration. Uh, a woman. First time we've seen a uh, Time Lord regenerate into a woman on screen. Of course, Missy was the master yep. who became a woman. So, well, and there's, there was a line to where the general said, finally back in my normal body or something like that, where basically it's she was always a woman and had regenerated into a man. Right. Right. Um, so they escape to the cloisters and he says, I, I, um, I do like as the doctor mm-hmm. is in that scene, cause that's where he gets, they're in a medical bay and, yeah. and he, that's when he says, I need a, I need a neural uh, block human compatible. So that's when he picks up the neural block, but he also mm-hmm. is in, he's got a gun and he's in this very tense situation. And he says, everyone stay exactly where you are on pain of death. Nobody take a selfie. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, classic Moffat. Um, so they also Clara yeah. is talking to him afterwards about you killed that man, and he says, "No, no, no." On, on Gallifrey, time uh, on Gallifrey, death is basically time lord for man flu. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, I think we we I think last time we talked about where does it, we know where heaven sent comes from. Well, what is what is um, hell bent come from? Uh, I think actually Hellbent is this reference to the cloisters because here's the doctor mm-hmm. refers to the cloisters as 
the hell of the Time Lords, the greatest mm-hmm. danger in Gallifrey. So he's bent on getting into the hell of the cloisters uh, so to escape through it. Maybe. I, I just took it as the doctor is hell-bent in terms of very determined and angry. Yeah. Yeah, it's Moffat trying to make sure that he can. Well, it's what's the thing? Hellbent, hellbent, hellbent for leather, you know. You're yeah, just yeah. determined, charging in. Yeah, it really ticked off. Uh, so in the in the cloisters, we see uh, a Dalek begging to be exterminated. Uh, weeping. That's, angels. A, that's a nice. That's a nice transition because the Doctor is like exterminate me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Put um, me out of my misery. <laughs> And we also see Weeping Angels and Cybermen and basically anything, even the most powerful creatures like Weeping Angels, uh, anytime they've tried to get into the cloisters, into the Matrix, the Matrix can it's can defend itself, which is except, remarkable. Except against the Master, who's been in and out of it multiple times covertly. <laughs> yep. And the Doctor, <laughs> in this case, too. Um, so this is when the... You know, as the the doctor apparently, as a as a young man, had escaped, had gotten into the cloisters and escaped out at a point, and uh, so he's trying to recreate this escape. And while he's doing this, she realizes the doctor spent this four and a half billion years in the confession dial, and she says, "I have, you know, I have things to say to you, mm-hmm. but we don't get to hear them." I know it's a bit of a cheat. Mm-hmm. Um, because she says, people like us, we should say things to to one another, and I'm going to say them now. And then we pan up, and we don't get to hear them. And Clara's theme music plays, which is mm-hmm. going to loop back later in the episode, because the song mm-hmm. the doctor's playing on his guitar in the diner is called Clara, and it's actually a simplified right. version of the Clara theme from the show. Mm-hmm. So I like all that, but this cutaway where I'm going to tell you important personal stuff and then we don't get to hear it, and I'm like, eh, that's a cheat. But I, yeah. they partially redeem it because yeah. when the because after she said whatever it is to the doctor, she turns back to the general and Ohila, and they want to know what she told the doctor, you know, because they think it was about the hybrid or something. And she says, um, "I that's between him and me. I'm not going to tell you about that, except I will tell you one thing that I did say." Don't worry, doctor, they'll be looking at me. And (laughs) and she reveals they were actually planning their escape in in what she said. And so that the fact she turned around and started talking to them gave the doctor a chance to slip down through a hatch and go steal a TARDIS, Mm -hmm. which he then materializes around her. And so it was part of what they were doing was was a getaway plan. Right, right. It's like, uh, okay, I can forgive you for not letting me hear the stuff to an extent. Yep. There's, a, there's like, I think a diegetic reason, I've used that word twice in this episode, uh, yeah. for for uh, the not hearing what she says to him because this is all him telling Clara in the diner the story. And because his memory of her has been removed, there are certain things he doesn't remember, hmm. including, and in fact, he, I think he comes out and says yep. it, what she told him. And she indicates later that what she told him would become not just a story, but a song. And so right, his, right. His, there is actually, you're right, there is a diegetic reason that I think Stephen Moffat put here uh, or explanation for why he doesn't remember exactly what she said. He doesn't actually remember her. He's Later he says he, he can deduce certain things about Clara based on the whole 
Right. That she left mm-hmm. in his memory. So he can tell certain things about the general shape. He doesn't remember details like what she looked like or what she said, mm-hmm. talked like or anything, but he can deduce certain things like I was in the cloister with her and she told me stuff. And subconsciously, he's processing what he told her as the song he right. plays. Well, and that, that, that right. goes back to Matt Smith when he erased the his he erased himself from the. Uh, Database. database, and they eventually recreated their knowledge of him based on the holes that he left. Right, the holes he left in history, yes. Um, yeah, so um, he steals a new TARDIS, which, you know, looks like that plain column. In, I, I, love the, I love the design of the original mm-hmm. TARDIS compared to nice. any, any of the modern ones. Yeah, yeah. It is, is I, and well, when Dr. Ruth had, had it too, yeah, you know, I'm like, awesome. yes. Let's do this with Shooty. Well, and they did, su- <laughs> they did such a great job for this, recreating the original TARDIS console room. I mean, mm-hmm. it was it was what the original TARDIS console room likely would have looked like if it had been created today instead of 1960. You right. know, it, and they did such a good job with that. I mean, I, I love the, the Fugitive Doctor's console room, too, although that's a more modernized version of it. But it's still, it, it's, yeah, I, I love that. That console room was just perfect. And, you know, they reused the console from the adventure, uh, an adventure in time and space, you know, because they recreated right. the first Doctor console. And so they reused that. Have we seen what the TARDIS looks like for the 14th Doctor in any of the preview stuff? Not really. It's it's actually been in the comic books, but I don't know if that's going to be canonical. Mm. And I thought I'd seen something where it's basically they're just reusing the set. The 13th Doctor set. Uh, Yeah. Well, that's too bad. So uh, of all the new Who designs or of all the Who Doctor Who designs, that's the worst. The new AG Crystal. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so the doctor thinks, you know, getting get, uh, Clara away from Gallifrey will restart her pulse and put her back in time, even though it will fracture time. It will, it, you know, time will heal itself. He kind of dismisses that. Um, but he expects that her pulse is going to restart and she's been saved from I li- the I death like, of the Raven. I like that um, he's wrong, that he's making yeah. this up as he goes and he's just wrong. Yes. Yes. Um, and as you said, he goes to the very end of the universe, which we've been to a couple of times now. Um, Except but there's this. Yeah, this is OK. So I know this is science fairy tale and I can't really hold it to real world standards. But current best understanding of the end of the universe is heat death. Mm-hmm. Heat death does not lead to a cessation of everything in five minutes, which is <laughs> which is what they imply. Um, that the universe is only going to last for another five minutes. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not how heat death works. Heat death goes on forever. It's just the point where the universe reaches thermal equilibrium, and so you don't have any large-scale movements of energy after that. So the stars are all burned out. It's all dark and cold, and there's not everything is in thermal equilibrium. And it goes on forever, and that's what heat death is. Heat death also is not just a few billion years away. It's trillions of years away because Mm. the smaller big stars like our sun, that's going to last for like 10 billion years. But um, but really small stars that or ones that become like neutron stars, those 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 things can go on for trillions of years. Wow. And so it's a very long future before we even get to heat death. On the other hand, I like a line that uh, the German um, 
physicist Sabina Hassenfelder wrote in uh, in her recent book, Existential Physics, um, where I forget the exact parallel she used, but it's kind of like trying to predict exactly how the universe is going to end on these timescales involves us knowing very, very, very precisely what the laws of nature are. Mm. And if our knowledge is even a little bit off over tr- over trillions of years, that can add up <laughs> to big changes. So the um, the it is it, she I I don't think it was this, but it was something like this. Our chance of predicting what's going to how the universe is going to end is actually kind of like a gnat trying to predict the course of a hurricane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, I, I passed over a line that I I, I kind of liked, which was uh, when Ohila and the doctor were in the cloisters. She tells him, you've gone too far. You've given her hope. And he says, since when is hope is a bad, since when is hope a bad thing? And she says, hope is a terrible thing on the scaffold, which is an interesting thought. It's an interesting thought, but it's wrong. Yes. I was going to agree because on the crucifix. There's lots of hope. <laughs> yeah. Whether whether it's hope for being rescued in this life or whether it's hope for the next life, hope is hope seems to always be a good thing. Yep. Yes, hope is always good, and and that, that it shows an a, an uh, essentially materialistic mindset, isn't it? You know, this mm-hmm. idea that you know she's going to die, so therefore there's no hope. There's always hope. You know, as long as there's, I was going to say as long as you draw breath, but she's not yeah. drawing breath. <laughs> so, but as well, long as there's yeah. life, there's hope. As the third doctor says, where there's life, there's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, right. Um, so the doctor says we've gone to the end of the universe in order where I don't have to answer to anyone. And then there's a knock on the door, which I thought was another nice mm-hmm. doctor come up and, um, and it's me. Not literally uh, me, but uh, a shielder. And we have we time. have a nice another nice play on words there, even though I hate the me thing. Mm-hmm. You know, Clara says, "Who could possibly be out there?" The doctor says, "Me." And, and <laughs> it, it, again, it's Clara may interpret that to mean the doctor may be out there, which right. he actually could be because time traveler he could yeah. have come another way. Right. Exactly. So, uh, you know, we have we've talked about the the discussion with uh, Ashilder and the the hybrid. Uh, Clara, meanwhile, refuses to give up her memories of the doctor. She says, these are the best years of my life. You can't take them away from me. I like that. Th- I like that they did this because, um, I mean, the 10th doctor had blanked on a noble's memories. And the, mm-hmm. the, the, the 12th doctor here points that out. He doesn't mention her by name, but he's he's talking to me about how he's going to blank Clara's memories. And I had already written in my note, why can't the doctor blank Clara's memory like he did Donna's? You know, meaning just telepathically. Yep. And they give us an explanation for that, um, that he, the doctor says, I'm going to blank her memories. I've done it before, but I'm going to use a neural block this time because it'll be painless. And then and because Clara is secretly watching on the TARDIS screen what's going on in this conversation, she figures out that's what he wants the neural block for. And she starts to jigger with it. So this is like what happened with Donna Noble. Neither one of them wanted to lose their memories. Only this time, Donna, in the form of Clara, gets to fight back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and she reverses the polarity, she says, on the, yep. uh, mm-hmm. on the neural block, which is a nice callback. And, uh, and she tells him, like she says, I've, I've messed with it. And now there's a 50-50 chance whether it will work on me or work on you. We don't know. 
and they decide to both press the button. Doctor flips a coin. One of them has to lose yep. the memories of the other. Not literally, and, but figuratively, yeah. they flip a coin. Yep. Right, right. And they press it together, and he uh, has uh, the, the uh, a, a bunch of advice for her as he's as he's going. Um, it's like a death scene, only it's mm-hmm. not a death. Yeah. He's just about to forget, and he's he's giving her all this advice, including don't eat pears; they're too squishy. Yeah. <laughs> they make a mess of your chin. That's very important. <laughs> Write that down. I, I did like that. That was good. Um, and so the doctors. Do you, uh, you know where that comes from? The I, it, I know it, he's. Yeah. It, the okay. bit about pears. Um, it's actually from Blink. Because in right. Blink, David Tennant had to record a bunch of stuff for his little appearances on That's DVDs. Right. And he was just ad-libbing and made up this stuff about don't eat pears. And it never got showed on screen, but it became an in-joke with the cast, and it eventually got out to the fandom Yeah, and made prayer breeders mad. Well, it it did show on screen, but it was the part that was fast-forwarded. He had to sit there and talk, you know, like, because they're fast-forwarding, and so that's one of the things he said. Yeah. Funny. It's like George Bush and Broccoli. Um, So the, uh, the, the TARDIS that's disguised as a diner is where he and Clara are. And uh, they they take off and leave him there. Um, and, you know, we'll talk about Clara in, in Shilder's conversation. But the doctor's TARDIS has been brought from London to Nevada by uh, Shilder and Clara. Um, and it's been decorated, drawn mm-hmm. on by you know, flowers. By, yep. yep. Uh, as well as a drawing of Clara. Mm-hmm. And the, it's interesting because the doctor had told Clara I will recognize her when I see her. And clearly he's he looking did. straight in her face and he didn't recognize her. Mm-hmm. But did he wonder why there was a drawing of the waitress on the front of his, of his TARDIS? <laughs> he, he didn't say anything. Um, and and we, we'd seen the decorated TARDIS uh, at the end of Face the Raven because it was done as kind of like, it was painted up as like a memorial for Clara because that's, that's right. where she died. Right, right. And the darkest TARDIS had been left behind. Um, and so he gets his purple velvety coat back so that because Clara had earlier said where's your coat I like that one it, it makes you doctory and because he had sort of set aside being the doctor and become this avenging angel figure mm-hmm. um, and symbolized by him not wearing his coat so he puts the coat on he sees the chalkboard says run you clever boy and Clara's signature line and be a doctor yep. and then the TARDIS flips him a proper sonic screwdriver out yep. of the console finally uh and I, uh yeah. i've always liked that one the the gold with the blue lights yes. I, I thought that, that one always looked sharp i like that one uh and then uh clara and the shoulder are clara says we're going back to gallifrey so i can face the raven um but we're gonna go the long way and it's like you know in a way this is just like we all as in fact clara says we all face the raven eventually we all die so how is this any different? She just knows the place, but, but you know, and she gets to choose the time, apparently. So, subjectively. They, they can travel she forever. To, she knows the place and the time, but she gets to choose how long it takes her to get there. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. So she, she gets to choose when. So she could travel forever and then, you know, eventually go back because mm-hmm. a shoulder is alone at the end of time. So she's, apparently she's not there. Um. This so, is later in the Shoulder's timeline, though, than that. Yeah. Right, right. But if but if Clara never went back, she would have been there at the end of time. So apparently at some point she went back. 
No, so. it doesn't follow. Um, Ishildur initially lived on Earth all the way through and all the way through the next 4.5 billion years until she get ends up on Gallifrey at the end of time. Mm-hmm. Then she gets in the TARDIS with Clara and they right. go back. I don't mean Ishildur. I mean Clara. Like if So okay, Clara right, and Ishildur yeah. are in Nevada in 2020 or whatever it was, 1915, 2015, I think it was. And... Clara is so, not at the end of time, therefore she went back at some point. Right. Yes. That's okay. the point I was trying to make. Yep. Thanks. Um, all right. So she and she goes back the long way round, which is a quote from what the doctor had said earlier. Any final thoughts on this one, Father Corey? Every time I heard him talk about taking the, the long way around, all I could think of was take the long way home from Super <laughs> Tramp. Yes, I, I was thinking that too. Um anything else? Nope. Jimmy, anything else? Uh no, I don't think so. Okay. Uh I uh, for my, I just have a final thought, which is that uh, I know Clara is a controversial companion. Some people really like her. Some people really hate her. I always really like Clara. Uh, I liked Jenna Coleman as an actress, and uh, I was sad to see her go. I really, she's one of my favorites. So, um, I, I, I yeah. when we did the ranking companions, I was pretty clear. I was not. I am not in the not in the Clara fan club. I know. I know. And it's I'm, fine. I, Everyone got their favorites. I'm sort of in the middle. I like Amy and Rory better than Clara, but Absolutely. I don't I don't dislike Clara. I understand yeah. why some people find her annoying, but on balance, I still like her. Yeah. All right. So we do have some feedback. And it's interestingly enough, this feedback is from our discussion of Face the Raven. Mm. Um, this comes from our YouTube channel from... The Cloister Bell, A Journey Through Time and Space. That's the account that posted. <laughs> and he says, the excellent show as always, gentlemen. Nicely discussed. I liked the description of Clara's behavior in this as being like near the end of a horror film when everyone is acting way over the top. She really did come across as extra cocky in this, so much so that it seemed out of character for her. As for Shilder, when it comes to her, they forgot that less really can be more. I'm very much looking forward to what the upcoming specials have in store for us. The Toymaker should be fun. You should read Mike. You're right. Michael Goff, who played the Celestial Toymaker, also played Counselor Hedlund in the Fifth Doctor story, Ark of Infinity. Cheers, guys. Signed, Stoltz. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. And, and by the way, with, with your, your sign and name, you, you, good performance in this episode. Mm-hmm. Cloister yeah. Bell. Cloister Bells. Very good job. <laughs> All right. Thank you for that feedback. In, incidentally, um, the first uh, the first of the three specials has a known villain as well, who's from the comic books, Beep the Meep. And mm-hmm. Beep the Meep proved very popular in the comics. And so that's why they brought him to the big screen now. So that should be interesting as well. The one we don't really know anything about is the middle special, Wild Blue Yonder. They've kept right. that mm-hmm. one tightly under wraps. So it may have some big surprises in it. And David Tennant reportedly, I saw a, a, a thing where David Tennant said it's unlike any other episode of Doctor Who. Interesting. I've seen one publicity still from it where David Tennant is weightless floating around in a presumably in space while blue yonder. So mm-hmm. uh, we'll have to see. Excellent. All right. Well, right now we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Dr. Who, including Jason T, TJW, Zachariah R, Teresa S and Edward H. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give Make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Simon Yannick, who edited this episode. So that's it from us. What did you think of the 12th Doctor story, Hellbent? 
You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com, or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. You can watch The Secrets of Doctor Who on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash starquestmedia. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the first of the 60th anniversary specials, The Star Beast. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, never be cruel and never be cowardly. And if you ever are, always make amends. Hi, folks. This is Dom Bettinelli, CEO of StarQuest, with a special message as we approach the Christmas season. Five years ago, StarQuest launched Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, which has become one of the most popular Catholic podcasts. The show educates and entertains tens of thousands of people every month, exploring mysteries and showing how we can use critical thinking to evaluate extraordinary claims. We're very proud of how Mysterious World has grown and fulfills our gospel mission. But we're not done yet. We are reaching tens of thousands, but even more people could benefit from hearing this and all the shows at StarQuest in our unique apostolate of spreading the gospel with podcasts and videos. To keep growing, we need your help. In the course of those nearly 300 episodes of Mysterious World, we've continually improved the show, adding a video version and animations that help illustrate the concepts we discuss. We've also begun adding video to our other shows as well to enhance their presentations and reach new audiences. We've also launched new shows, most recently, The Secrets of Sacred Art, which is best enjoyed as a video. And we have plans for even more growth, bringing the light of Christ to even more people online. We need your help, though, to make that happen. We have many generous supporters, but as time goes on, some people inevitably have to step back from giving. As a result, our resources have started to decrease. That's why it's very important that we hear from you this Advent and Christmas, the time of year when nonprofits receive most of their support for the year. If you're already a supporter of StarQuest, we thank you and ask you to prayerfully consider increasing your support at this time. If you're not yet a financial supporter, please become one now. Every gift counts. Could you give $15 or even just $10 a month? Whatever level of support you can offer, please show your support for SQPN this Christmas. And remember that your gifts may be tax deductible. Just go to sqpn.com give. That's sqpn.com give. And may God bless you this Advent, and may you have a blessed Christmas season. <laughs>